2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul writes to Timothy, But know this, difficult times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of the Almighty, holding to the form of religion but denying its power. Avoid these people. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. I'm studying in Exodus 21 to pick back up my series through the law in the book of Exodus but right now I'm going to teach on 2 Timothy 3. Last week I taught about an aspect of Hanukkah. Even though Hanukkah is over with, I had to teach a little bit on 1 Maccabees and 2 Maccabees because it's so good. But today we're going to continue to take a break from Exodus. I will pick that back up next moon. But I want to teach a sermon today that I think will not only teach you about some important matters in Scripture but it will also show you a little bit of how to properly study a word or a phrase so that you don't fall into believing something wrong. Let me begin by saying none of us are perfect students of Scripture. We constantly need to sharpen and hone in our study skills of the Bible. We've all made mistakes in studying or in what we believe to be correct, but then time and maturity, we got better and We haven't made as many mistakes, hopefully, but we've got to be constantly learning and we've got to be willing to work out and strengthen our spiritual muscles, amen, every day. Some people are not as avid or mature students as others, and that is okay. It's perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with attaching yourself to someone as a disciple and learning under them. There is a lot of good teachers in the Scriptures, and there are good teachers today And it's okay to be a disciple of somebody. There were teachers and students in the Bible or a master or rabbi and his disciples. When the apostle Philip, one of the direct apostles of Yeshua, he met an Ethiopian eunuch on the way in the desert at a time. And the eunuch was reading out of the prophet Yeshaya, Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you read? And the eunuch was very humble. He said, how can I understand except some man should guide me? And then Philip began at that scripture and preached Yeshua to the eunuch. So it's okay to be a disciple to a teacher. It's okay to take time to understand while you learn under someone. It's also good to realize that we each excel at something. Each one of us is better than the next person at something. Uh, Right now, Brother TJ is studying Acts 1 and 2 deeply. So if I run across something in my daily studies in those chapters that I haven't spent as much time on, I'll call TJ and ask him because it'll be fresh on his mind and that's what he's focused on at the time. We can't all be focused on everything at the same time, right? So we call on other people to help us in areas where we may not know as much. I think it's like that in the natural too. We're better than the next person at something, not just in the spiritual, but in the natural. When I need new brake shoes for my work truck, I call Brother Rocket. Sandy said one time he asked Jeff to help him in gun training. If I want to get tips on fishing or hunting, 
I don't want any of y'all brothers to get jealous. I'm calling McCord. <laughs> and if I want some good wings, I'm going to call McCord too, right? Remember them wings he brought out at Tabernacles? Oh my goodness. So my point here in my opening is to say that it's okay to rely on somebody else to teach you when they've already learned that subject or topic and they know it well. So don't be afraid to ask a superior to you. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. That's what pastors and teachers are for. They help us grow in wisdom and knowledge. And then as we grow, we sharpen our own skills, sharpen our own faith. We move from faith to faith. And then we get to be the person that somebody calls or asks, hey, brother or sister so-and-so, what do you think about this? And we get to be the one to teach. The key verse that we're going to be looking at today that I'm hopefully going to teach you the proper understanding on is one that came up recently towards me. It has come up before time and time again in my years of ministry. And that's 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. HCSB says, Holding to the form of religion, but denying its power, avoid these people. I'm more familiar with the King James Version rendering because I heard it quoted when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church that said this, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And it was quoted in the church I grew up in and the churches that we ran with in the sense of there are people in religion that hold to a form of godliness but they deny the power of the Spirit in speaking in tongues and miracles and things like that. That's how the verse was used. That's how the verse was used towards me not long ago. So it's used by many charismatic Pentecostal type churches to speak against a teacher like me or an assembly like ours because we don't practice things like speaking in tongues or we don't claim to have the ability to heal the sick. They say that Brother Matthew and that group there, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof, avoid these people from such turn away. They say that the power here in verse 5 is the supernatural working power of God in the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. So they turn from us as 2 Timothy 3, 5, they believe, tells them to do. Do you see the point? That's how it's been used towards me many times. Now, the first thing to point out here as I get into this text is that we do not teach here, either myself or Brother TJ or Brother Jerry, None of us teach that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are not a real thing. We all believe in the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Brother TJ is teaching right now verse by verse through Acts chapter 2. He is explaining, I think, in a good way, what is going on there in regards to the gift of languages or the gift of tongues. Brother TJ has told us he believes in the gift. He believes that the apostles and possibly some of the other disciples of Yeshua then had that gift, and operated in that gift. He just does not believe or agree with the modern charismatic view of that gift. And neither do I. (laughs) And, you know, that upsets some, but I, I don't agree with the modern charismatic view of that gift. So it's not the actual gift of the Spirit that we have a problem with. We believe in the gift of the Spirit. What we have a problem with is what we see as a counterfeit gift. Somebody operating in something that is not genuine or real to the scriptures. So a lot of what I see taking place in charismatic churches today, 
I'll be frank, is just not found in the Bible. It's not found in the Bible. Not just not in the Older Testament, but also not in the Newer Testament. If we are patterning our life, let's say, one-to-one, even with what took place in the book of Acts, a lot of what I see in the charismatic church today is not what took place even in the book of Acts. I think we've seen that going through Acts chapter 2. Now, one man I talked to one time told me, he said, part of your problem is you read too much of the Bible. I was actually told that. I was at a Passover Seder one time. I did not participate in that particular Seder. I didn't feel comfortable with what was going on there. That's maybe for another time and message. But I talked afterwards because I'm usually the guy that everybody spots out in the crowd, right? I'm the guy that looks strange. I used to think everybody else looked strange when I first met my father-in-law. Now I'm one of the guys that looks strange. Everybody looks at me and says, let's go talk to that guy. He looks different. So we got to talking and the fellow finally told me, he said, part of your problem is you read the Bible too much. The more spiritual you get, the less you'll have to read the Bible. Now, I like Brother Sandy's approach that the more Bible memorization you get, the less you have to read because you've hid the word in your heart that you might not sin against him. But I don't agree with not reading or citing from memory Scripture. That was bizarre for me then. It's bizarre for me today. But for a lot of these people in the charismatic church, they do not mind doing things that are not in Scripture because they say, with a big wipe, we're being led by the Spirit. The Spirit led me to do that. Let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you about something that happened to me. Anytime somebody asks you a question about what you believe, your first step should be to go to the Scriptures. It is okay for you to have an experience or an emotional time in your life with the Creator, but it always has to align with Holy Scripture. That's how we judge right from wrong now. That's how we judge right from wrong. So I can't accept everybody that tells me I'm being led by the Holy Spirit when I don't find what they're doing in the Spirit-inspired Scriptures. I judge everything by Scripture. There was a time in the past, in the patriarchal time period, the period that we now call the book of Genesis, when Yahweh's word to man was oral. It wasn't written down. It was taught by Yahweh to Adam, and Adam to Seth, and Seth to his children, and eventually to Noah, and Enoch, and Methuselah, and all of these great patriarchs of the book of Genesis. And they taught from father to son, from father to son, or from father or mother to daughter. So the scriptures are what was holy. I shouldn't say scriptures. What was holy, the teaching was taught orally. Eventually, it got written down on scrolls or parchment. Um, We sing it in Joshua 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall think on it day and night. Joshua 1, 7 through 8, right? Be careful to do what it tells you to do, and you'll have good success. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Stay on the narrow path. Book of the law. That's why when anybody tells me I don't need to be spending time in the book of the law, I think about Joshua. And I have to go by what Yahweh told Yehoshua and not by what he's telling people that claim to be led by the Spirit today. I can't do that. I've got to stick by what he told the successor to Prophet Moshe. Remember when they found the book of the law, probably the book of Devarim or Deuteronomy, in King Josiah's day? What did he do? He tore his clothes, right? 
Nowadays, we have preachers in fancy three-piece suits that get up on stage and tell people they don't have to obey the law. When the Old Testament king heard the words of the law, he wasn't wearing a fancy three-piece suit. He was wearing a robe. And what did he do? He tore it. He tore it because it's a sign of grief. I know that we're going to come under judgment. As a matter of fact, he had so much penitence and repentance that Yahweh allowed him to die before utter destruction came upon the nation because of their disobedience. So it's very, very important. Even here in 2 Timothy 3, towards the end, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, you probably are still turned there. Let's read that. Same chapter. It's important this is in the same chapter. Look at 3 and 14. But as for you, Paul writing to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from those whom you learned. Who did Timothy learn from? His grandmother and his mother, Eunice and Lois. And that from childhood you have known the what? Holy Scripture. Scripture, Which are able to instruct you or make you wise to salvation through faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. All Scripture is given by inspiration of the Almighty. Or the Greek word is theopneustos. It means breathed out of theos. Breathed out of the Almighty. So it, it wasn't men that made up things. It was Yahweh carrying them along by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit, the power of Yahweh. And it's profitable for what? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of the Almighty, the man of Yahweh, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Holy Scripture, the sacred Scriptures. The word Scriptures in Greek is graphe. It means writing. Holy means set apart. The sacred writings is what it's talking about. The book of the law, specifically the prophets. In Timothy's time, when Timothy was a child, there was no New Testament written. So when Paul says about the Scriptures being inspired, he's not negating any Scripture that could be written after that. But Timothy, from childhood, only knew probably primarily the Law and the Prophets. Maybe some of the writings too. But he's talking about his mother and his grandmother teaching him out of the Tanakh. That's able to make you wise into salvation, Timothy. Not what somebody told you, not what somebody experienced in the church down the street, but remember the sacred writings that you learned. Remember your mother and your grandmother, holy women that taught you the writings. The Bible is not an exhaustive list of everything in the world, but it is everything you need to know to be in a right relationship with the Almighty. Even the teachings of Yeshua at the end of the Gospel of John, it says if everything would have been written down that He did, the books in the world could not contain them. But there's enough in there to make you equipped for every good work. Every good work. So if I cannot find what's going on in the modern charismatic church in either the Old Testament or the New Testament Scriptures, it's not from Yahweh. It's like strange fire that Nadab and Abihu offered up in Leviticus 10 that Yahweh did not command. And the fire jumped off the pan and consumed them and they died. One example that I talked with some people about this week was the whole slain in the spirit thing that goes on in churches. I grew up in that kind of church. I remember when I invited one of my fellow classmates in high school to come to a revival with me. And 
Isaac, it's all I ever knew. You know, growing up in that kind of church, you just think it's normal. But, you know, this girl was raised, I think, Episcopalian. So to go from Episcopalian to a Pentecostal church, I remember the next day at school, she says, why did you invite me to that kind of church? That seemed ridiculous to me. And I was thinking, no, you don't understand. You have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. Second Timothy 3, verse 5. I can't find the modern practice of slain in the Spirit in the Bible where, you know, a preacher kind of grabs somebody's head and they shake them back and forth or you got Benny Hinn that'll take his jacket off and swoosh his jacket in front of somebody and they'll fall out. I've seen him take his hand like this and go back and the whole choir fall out. And I'm like, do people really think that this is happening? If it is real, it's definitely not the set-apart spirit. It's another spirit. Because you don't find stuff like that in the Bible. The closest thing that comes to being slain in the Spirit, that's what we were told it was called growing up, slain in the Spirit. The closest thing that comes to that is in Acts chapter 5 where two people died for lying to the Holy Spirit. They were slain by the Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira. They were judged. They were condemned. So I don't find the modern practice going on in the book of Acts. Acts 5 was a punishment, not a reward. So my point here is this. It's kind of a lengthy intro. I promise you we're going to get to 2 Timothy 3. My point here is that Brother TJ and Brother Jerry and myself, those that teach here and pastor here, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We just believe that they have to be squared with the Spirit-inspired sacred writings. So if somebody claims to have a particular gift, we've got to be able to find it in the sacred writings. You can't just make stuff up. If you can make stuff up, then what about the people that experienced like the so-called Toronto Blessing up in Canada where they were having revival and they claimed that some people were slain in the Spirit and they began to bark like dogs and yelp like coyotes? Or the people that claimed to toke the Holy Ghost. You seen this? (laughs) They pretend like they're smoking the Holy Ghost and they act like they're high. I can show it to you. It's all over YouTube. And people go to these churches by the droves. Where do we stop? If we can just claim that we're led by the Spirit and anything goes because, hey, we feel good, where do we stop? I'm going to tell you where we stop, brothers and sisters. The Word of Yahweh is sufficient. It makes us complete for every good work. One of the best messages I ever heard Brother TJ preach was in the end of Ephesians where he talked about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Elohim. We got in the pump truck the next morning, and both of my sons said, boy, TJ brought the heat last night, didn't he? (laughs) And I told him, I said, why don't y'all ever say that when Dad preaches? (laughs) But it was good. I remember I felt the hair on my arms standing up because you can tell when somebody has studied and they're in the zone and they're telling you what's in their heart and in their mind and their spirit. And I encourage you to go back and read it because it will... It will encourage you to stick with Holy Scripture. Now that we have it, now that it's complete. Remember, in Genesis it was passed down orally. And Joshua, Yahweh said, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So it didn't have to be passed down orally anymore. It was passed down written form. And now, praise Yahweh, we have it in the most beautiful form that we've ever had it before. We have the Bible most readily available to us in this day and time more than any other time, and I venture to say that it's less read in this time than any other time. Early Christians used to be so grateful to get their hands on 
one little paper of an epistle of Peter or Paul and spend time going over it and over it and over it so that when it was time for somebody else to get it and they passed it along, they still had it in their mind and in their heart and they could stand up in the synagogue and they could quote 1 Peter chapter 1. Here's what Peter told us as an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah and everybody could be benefited by the reading of the scriptures from memory. So we believe in the biblical gift of languages. We just don't believe in the abuse of that gift. Do we believe in the gift of healing here at this assembly? Yes, of course. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But not only do we believe in the miraculous gift of healing, which I'll talk about in a second, we simply believe that somebody can be prayed over and they can be healed. Brother TJ experienced this in his life. Brother Jerry experienced healing recently in his life. It happened to him a little bit different. It was not identical, but they were both healed by Yahweh. Yahweh was still the healer in both, both cases. Amen. It's just like when Hezekiah was sick, nigh unto death, and eventually the prophet through Yahweh, or Yahweh through the prophet, I should say, told him, you need to make a fig poultice and put it on yourself so that you will be healed. Could, could Yahweh have miraculously healed King Hezekiah? Sure, but he didn't choose to do it that way that time. He used a fig poultice to heal King Hezekiah, and he got 15 more years added to his life. So we pray for somebody. Sometimes they can add works to the faith and be healed by natural means. Sometimes you can pray for somebody, like the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and spent all her money on doctors and had given up. And Yeshua said, Who touched me? When she touched his tzitzit, the hem of his garment, and she was made whole. Brother TJ will tell you, he'll tell you to this day, he's told me over and over again. He said, look, I done tried everything the doctors told me to do and I didn't get better. But one day, Yahweh answered prayer. I remember the next day he called me. He said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine, brother. What's on your mind? He said, I think I'm fixing to go get in the, in the uh, skid steer and work a little bit. I said, whoa, whoa, hold on, brother. I was just at his house the day before. And he was laying on the, on the couch. He said, I feel strength. Yahweh heals. He's, he's still a healer. Nobody is denying the gift of healing. Nobody's denying that Yahweh heals. I believe that Yahweh heals. But there are two problems that come into play with a charismatic view of the gift of healing. First, oftentimes it is believed that Yahweh always heals if we have enough faith. And they tell these little old men and women that have given all their money to these TV preachers, you just got to have more faith. And that's just not true. There are times in Scripture where ailments come on Yahweh's people. They go through extreme sickness or problems. They, they even die. Look at Job. Job did get restored, but he went through awful things. Imagine losing all ten of your children at one time. That happened to Job. Paul's thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that the Lord remove it from him. The Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Trophimus, right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the next chapter, Paul left him sick. And Paul, at least at some point, had the miraculous gift of healing, but he chose to leave Trophimus sick. It is not always Yahweh's will to heal a person in this life. And that doesn't mean that you didn't have enough faith or that the person who was sick wasn't a good person. doesn't mean that at all. I want everybody in here to know, and anybody listening by the telephone or by Facebook Live, I want you to know that if you're sick and you've prayed 
and Yahweh has not chosen to heal you as of this point, it does not mean that He doesn't love you. Listen, it doesn't mean He doesn't love you. We have to trust Yahweh in these cases. People come to me sometimes with hard questions that I don't know the answer to. I tell them they're like the Queen of Sheba that came to Solomon with hard questions. (laughs) And I just tell them I don't know the answer, but I trust Yahweh that He knows more than I do. He is my Elohim, my Mighty One. I'm not equal with Him. So in the things that I can't figure out and that I don't know, I trust Him. And I know that He knows best. Like the old TV show said, Father knows best, right? Well, our Heavenly Father knows best. And He has reasons that we sometimes do not understand until the kingdom of heaven is here in all its glory. Sometimes Yahweh gets glory from having one of His children go through sickness or disease and never be healed for the reason so that people in the world can see what great faith and stability the person has in spite of their physical problems. Sister Denise was a great example of this. She was sick at a medical center, walking around, praying for the other people that were sick while she was sick with faith that Yahweh could heal them when she had what was called an incurable disease in her body. I don't understand why Yahweh didn't choose to heal her in this life. I do know, though, that she'll receive her healing at the resurrection of the righteous. I believe that with all my heart on that great and final day. Yahweh chooses some people for hard missions so that we can look at them and see, wow, their faith is really that strong. Secondarily, there is a gift of healing whereby a person is endowed with a supernatural ability to lay hands on somebody and they recover. Yeshua had it. He gave it to His apostles, at least for a time in Matthew 10. He then gave it to apostles, and they did this throughout the book of Acts, where they had the miraculous gift to heal at their will. If they saw somebody sick and they wanted to heal them, they could heal them by the touch of their hand. Peter's shadow, it even says, I think in Acts 5, people could get in Peter's shadow and they could be healed of a sickness. Now these are the direct apostles of Yeshua. So that gift is a real gift, but although I believe in that gift, I don't have that gift. I told my mom when my granddaddy was sick, I said, I wished I had the gift of healing because I'd heal him right now. But you know what? He'd still have to die because he's in this flesh. Some say the gift, the miraculous gift of healing is not any longer available today. I think a lot of people have a fake gift. I'm not going to say that nobody could have it today. I don't have a problem with somebody having that gift today. I just don't believe that everybody that claims to have the gift of healing has it. People that want you to come to their crusade meetings and get up on stage at their auditorium to be healed, do they really have the gift? I don't see the apostles doing that. I don't see the apostles renting out auditoriums and selling tickets and making sure they come up on stage and making a big to-do of it. I don't see that in the book of Acts. I see them going about and uh, different towns. Matthew 10, Yeshua says, Go into each town that they receive you, heal the sick, cast out demons, pray for people. Oh, I, I don't believe in all that. I, I think there's a counterfeit to the genuine, and a counterfeit can be made to look like the original or the real. 
So I don't deny the miraculous gifts of the Spirit spoken about in Scripture. I just interpret some of them differently than the charismatic view, and I do take a more conservative approach to the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> but is that what 2 Timothy 3.5 is talking about? Is Paul telling Timothy that some people have a form of godliness, they look godly in some way, but they deny the power of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit? Listen, no, that's not what Paul's talking about. It's not even close. Let me show it to you. Look at it again. Remember we read 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 to open with. What's the context dealing with? Bible study, exegesis time. What's the context dealing with? But know this, difficult times will come in the last days for people will be what? Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers. What are these things? Sins, transgressions of the law. This will happen. It's these people that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Difficult times due to people being sinful. That actually sounds like a lot of mega money hungry churches and pastors in America if you ask me. I saw some clips of a guy named Jesse Duplantis the other day and all he talked about was money. He bragged about how much money he had and the, 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 the watch that he had that matched LeBron James' watch. He had to get him one because if LeBron can have one, he can have one. That's, that's, that's blasphemous for a man to get up and make the gospel all about making money. But I digress. I don't want to get too much on, on that. So Paul gives a list of sins here that will be prevalent in the last days. And then he says they hold to a form of religion, a form of godliness, but they deny the power, avoid these people. So the context is one. It has something to do with various transgressions of the law. And two, these same people hold to a form of religion, but three, they deny some kind of power. Look at verses 6 through 13. It's the only verses we haven't read yet. Verse 6. For among them, among who? Among the people he's just mentioned and warned Timothy about. Avoid these people. Among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins led along by a variety of passions. Uh, I could say a lot about this text, but let me just say I have talked personally with little old women whom TV preachers have wormed their way into their household and they've given them every amount of money they get because the preacher promised them prosperity and success if they just sow a seed into the TV ministry. And they're still living in that same little hut that they've always lived in. And nobody's taking care of their roof. Nobody's taking care of their food. Nobody's taking care of their clothes. They worm their way into households, brothers and sisters. Verse 7, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's another clue. These people are constantly learning something, but they never arrive at the truth. Verse 8, just as Yanis and Yambres resisted Moshe, so these also resist the truth, men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. Notice verse 9, lack of understanding. Verse 10, but you, Paul writes to Timothy, have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, yet the Master rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a holy life in Messiah Yeshua will be persecuted 
Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing that from childhood you've been taught the sacred writings. So what it sounds like here contextually is some type of religious people, verse 5, who are always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth, verse 7, yet they're involved in sins, verses 1 through 4 in verse 6, and they lack understanding, verse 9, and they don't remain in the sacred scriptures like Paul told Timothy to remain in, verses 14 through 17. So what power are they denying? I'm going to suggest to you that the power they deny is this. The power of the Holy Spirit given to the believer that enables the believer to keep the commandments. Oh, Brother Matthew, it always goes back to the commandments. Yeah, it does. Let's hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear Elohim and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's what the whole Bible's about. Apart from the knowledge of the Father and His Son, if you got that, the rest of your life is walking in obedience to Yahweh through His commandments. I believe that's the power that's being denied here. People have a form of godliness or a form of religion. They claim to know the Father and the Son. They taught religious talk. But when it comes to the actual leading of the Spirit, which remember, Ezekiel 36, the Spirit's given to help you obey the Torah. They downplay that. They deny the power of the Spirit's work on a man or woman's life to overcome transgression of the law. That's the context. Now, two parallels. Think about this first in relation to Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. You can turn there if you, if you like. This is where Yeshua says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who what? Does the will of my Father which is in heaven. What will the many say? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And do many miracles in your name? And what does Yeshua, the Lord, the Master, say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. My Bible says lawbreakers. King James says iniquity. The Greek is anomia. It means without law. No law. So, think with me here. Matthew 7, 21-23 cannot be talking about atheists or agnostics because they don't confess Yeshua to be Lord. So that's not who it's talking about in that text. It can't be talking about Jews. It can't be talking about Muslims. It can't be talking about Hindus because none of those people say that Yeshua is Lord or Lord, Lord. None of them profess the Messiah to be Lord. Who today professes the Messiah as Lord, claims to prophesy, cast out demons, and do miracles in His name. It is only, brothers and sisters, and I know this might be hard, it is only the charismatic movement that is the only people that fits that criteria right there. The Baptists don't fit it. Now they claim Jesus is Lord, but they don't claim to do all those things. The Methodists, now they're the frozen chosen. <laughs> they don't make any noise in church, right? I did a job for a Methodist guy one time. He said they were down to five members and all the members was 75 years old and up. So they're not growing anymore. It's not the Presbyterians, right? Nobody fits the description except the charismatic churches. 
And what's even more powerful here is that there is very little exegetical teaching from the sacred scriptures in those type churches. And they often will tell you keeping the law is bondage or something like that. They have a form of godliness. They call Jesus or Yeshua Lord. They claim to cast out demons in His name and prophesy in His name and do many miracles in His name. It's the only people who fit the criteria of Matthew 7, 21-23. And I think the context of 2 Timothy 3 is about the same thing. In the last days, they'll be involved in these sins. They'll have a form of religion or godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The power of the Spirit to change the life of a person to be obedient to the Torah. If you're still in 2 Timothy 3, I'll close with this. Notice the next book after 2 Timothy is the book of Titus. Paul wrote both 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. They're called in theological circles pastoral epistles because he's teaching Timothy and Titus how to arrange the New Testament assemblies, uh, the congregations. Now, I'm not going to go over the whole first chapter of Titus. I encourage everybody to read it. I'm just going to read two verses at the end of Titus 1. Look at it. It says, To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, disqualified for any good work. When you study a word or a phrase from an author, the first place you should go to compare that word or that phrase is the pen of that same author. I know I went to Matthew 7 before I went to Titus, but that's what came to my mind in my studies because it's such a prominent text. But look at this, the same pen of the Apostle Paul what he writes, and compare it. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 5, holding to a form of religion. Go over to Titus 1, 16. They profess to know God. I think those are parallel. Holding to a form of religion, they profess to know God. That's the same thing. Notice the second parallel. But denying its power, Titus 1, 16. But they deny Him by their works. I think Paul is writing the same thing to Titus in different words that he wrote to Timothy in that epistle. Paul is not warning people, or warning, he's not warning Timothy of people who deny the gifts of the Spirit, which we don't deny those in the first place. But he is warning Timothy of religious people who claim to follow the Messiah as Lord, yet they deny the power given to enable them to do good works or keep the commandments. Now I've shown this understanding to you from the context of 2 Timothy 3, the parallel from the pen of Paul, the same author in Titus 1, and by what I also think is a good parallel in Matthew chapter 7. I hope that you'll go back and be a good Berean and, and test what I've shown you today. Let Yahweh be true and every man a liar. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall think on it day and night. Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do so that you will have good success. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, but stay on the narrow path. Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do so that 
you will have good success. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Shalom.